The views expressed in this episode are those of the participants and do not necessarily represent or reflect the views of Winnebago County or the Illinois 17th Judicial Circuit Court. In this episode, I speak with Amber Johnson, Advocate Facilitator for CASA. CASA stands for Court Appointed Special Advocates. All right. This is Larry Youngblood. Um, I'm here with Amber Johnson from CASA. Um, Amber, welcome. Thank you. And um, can you just give me a little bit of an overview of what CASA is? What does it stand for? Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me. So CASA is an organization, um, court-appointed special advocates, and those court-appointed special advocates are appointed by the juvenile court system to follow children in foster care. So their scope is to follow that child through the duration of the case um, while their case is going on and to be that one you know, eyes and ears um, of the court to advocate for them, advocate for the best interests of them, making sure things are going all right. So that they're, they're that one mentor that follows them throughout the course of the case. Okay. All right. Yeah. We're going to dive deeper into <laughs> all, right. all of that. Sounds um, great. Can you just tell me your position at CASA? Yes. Yeah, so I'm the advocate facilitator there. And what that means is I take all the, I get all the um, referrals from court that come through our office. So when I get a referral from court, that means that somebody in the court system, whether it was the judge, the guardian at items, um, the state's attorney, um, somebody in the court system has identified that a case needs a CASA. They need that extra set of eyes. So they bring that referral to our office. I go through those referrals, I read the case history, and then I, we do a really good job at CASA to find out who the best advocate is for that specific case. So what we try to do is we cater to what's going on with that case. We might have a case that's medical or a case that has some educational issues with older children, um, certain things of that nature. So we try to look at our volunteers and see maybe what kind of background, what kind of cases are they interested in having. And we really try to cater it for the best advocate for that case. Okay. All yeah. right. There's more to dive in. Yes. Um, <laughs> can You just briefly touched on what CASA is as an, an organization. Um, is it just specific to Winnebago County? Is it a national organization? Can you kind of dived in a little bit more on that. Yes, it's a national organization. So um, national, nationwide, um, there are CASA programs. So what the point is, is we want every child in the foster care system to have an advocate. Um, right now, it's not necessarily possible because we always need volunteers. Um, but ideally, it would be a CASA following that kid or those children throughout the duration of the case. So nationwide, there's counties um, within those um, states that have their own CASA program. Um, so it's it's everywhere. It's it's a great organization to have. Okay. Um, so nationally, CASA is available through the court system. So if a child within the foster system is going through the court system, then CASA, the organization, is available to provide services. That's correct. Okay. Yes. Great. And then um, can you explain what CASA is as the person? So CASA as a person is somebody who truly has a passion for wanting to volunteer, who truly has a passion for wanting to help 
these children and the families. So um, they're volunteering their own time. Um, they go through 30 hours of training, pre-service training. They do um, the background checks and um, they really get trained fully on the court system, the kinds of things they might encounter, trauma um, that they might encounter. So they are everybody, everyday people in our community who have had this calling of seeing a billboard or seeing something on TV or seeing so you know something where, um, yeah, I want to know more about that. You know, we have a variety of volunteers. It's everybody from young people to people who are retired. Um, you know, they have full-time jobs, but they're doing this and volunteering their own time because it's truly a calling for them and they want to help out. Okay. So the advocates for the children are volunteers. Is there like, you, you said like a lot of people find that it's a calling through a billboard or something within the community. Mm-hmm. Is there a recruitment of um, within CASA or is it kind of like a friend of a friend or yes. can you explain more of how volunteers come to you? Sure. Yes, we do have um, a full-time recruitment person, Ann Bruce. So she recruits. She's great. She's out in the community all the time. She's doing community events, um, putting those feelers out. She's. Um, we also try to have some pop-up events throughout the year. We try to have two big events during the year, um, and then we have the recruiting throughout the year all the time. Um, and then some people do just find out from the internet or through our Facebook page, you know, our social media, a friend of a friend. Um, so we see those referrals come in that way too. And then you spoke a little bit about the training, that it's a 30-hour training and that you prep the volunteers for anything that they might hear. Um, can you explain a little bit more about their their training? Sure, yeah. So it's once a week. We try to cater it to working professionals. So um, those are six to nine every Thursday, but we do switch it up. So we're, we're playing with the fact of maybe doing some Saturday classes um, when that can become available when we have enough people for that. We've done a daytime class for individuals who can do that. So they have coursework in um, the training classroom, and then they have outside coursework, um, you know, online coursework also. So that all adds up to those hours that they complete during that time. After the training, um, then we have a beautiful swearing-in ceremony. Um, They can bring their families and we have food, and it's just to celebrate them as they take this journey on. Okay. Um, How how can... How is the training preparing them to either work with the child or maybe sit in the court? Yeah, so the training prepares them very well for the information they will come across. What, what as an advocate, what are they doing, you know, as far as going out and seeing the kids every 30 days? Um, they prepare them for you know, the things that they might see, um, safety issues with children, how to work with the families as a whole. Um, That reunification is our number one goal. That is definitely we want children to go back to their parents if it's deemed safe. So we definitely want um, that to be happening. And they also get courtroom training. So our court puts on a night where they learn about the juvenile court system. Um, So that's put on by the state's attorneys and the GALs, as well as the judge. And then they also have court observation. So they sign up for um, two hour, three hour sessions to observe the court so that they can kind of get a feel before they start, you know, um, volunteering how the court system actually works and being in the courtroom and seeing how that um, all plays out. 
I think that's great. Yeah. Um, I think that's starting to lead into my next question is why having um, a court-appointed um, advocate is so necessary within the juvenile justice system? It's so important because um, we find that when children go through the foster care system, there's so many changes, right? So caseworkers might leave, supervisors might leave, um, you know, sometimes they might lose their counselor for various reasons. And that court-appointed special advocate is that constant support for that child from day one. That is that constant person to carry them through their journey, to be on that journey with them, to be that support system, that mentor, um, because sometimes they even have to move foster homes, you know. So if they can have that one person they can trust and confine in and know that they're going to continue to show up every month for that visit, that's huge for them. And we just see better outcomes in general for kids who have a uh, advocate volunteer. Does the advocate go with them to every court appointment? So the advocates do attend court for every court date, um, and they do see them in the home every month, like I said. So um, they are, you know, um, doing those duties as well as they're reaching out to therapist schools to find out how they're doing in school. They're reaching out to medical professions if it's something where they want to make sure they're up to date on all their medical. Um, they're also working with the foster family. And they're also working with the bio parents. So they're, you know, visiting them, making sure that they're supported because it's really a team approach. You know, they're working with the private agencies. They're working with DCFS, with the caseworkers. So it's the focus is a team. We want these children to be supported um, by the best possible team so that they have a good outcome, you know, so that they can get home to their family. As you're explaining this, it sounds like um, an advocate could be overwhelmed by how much they can objectively be a part of a child's life that they're not connected to, you know, biologically mm -hmm. or emotionally prior to being appointed. Sure. Um, how do you work with an advocate in kind of holding that responsibility and that ability to reach out and speak to people who may be holding some like sensitive information and information that's not freely available to even the child's own like biological family per sure, se. Sure. I think that's a lot of where the training came in. And then there also when a advocate is done and sworn in, they have an advocate supervisor. So they have a supervisor at CASA who is their support, right? So um, I have my own caseload, and then we have um, four other girls or three other girls um, in the um, office that have their own caseload. So we are all supervising those advocates so they can call us, you know, um, during the time that they need that support. They need to know what to do, they need direction. What do I do here? Or this is a hard situation. So we're really that main support for them, um, for them to reach out to us and get direction. And we have a great team that does that. We do an excellent job of supporting our advocates because, you know, it's, it's rough. It can be hard. You know, we're, we're dealing with a lot of children who've experienced trauma and um, families who've experienced trauma. So um, those are all things that we do our best to try to support them. I guess to dive a little bit deeper, too, is 
that the advocate might be hearing information that isn't necessarily being shared across the board. How much transparency does the advocate need to have with all all the members in like the child's life and how much of um, maybe some of that information isn't, how's the best way to word this? Like they need to hold on to that information a little bit longer or it may not be safe to share that information. Does mm -hmm. that question make sense? I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah. So the advocates know if there's anything that is sensitive or something that a child has to disclose at the end of the day, you know, they do have to report that, you know, if there's something that, you know, a lot of times children will say, oh, I just, I need to tell you something, but please don't say anything. We prepare them saying, we have to always make sure you're safe. And there's things that I will have to share, right? So, um, you know, there are situations where they have to call the hotline, you know, they have to report it to caseworkers or to our team um, because it's a difficult situation, you know. So there are things um, that are sensitive to um, them hearing. And so we do our best to train them and prepare them that they're going to hear traumatic things. You know, it's um, hard information to digest sometimes. And we really encourage them to take care of themselves, too. Mm -hmm. Is that yeah. Question? Yeah. Um, you help prepare them to let them let the advocates know that they need to make sure everyone is safe across the board. So, yeah, that 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 full communication and transparency needs to occur so everyone is safe. Yes. I think that answers the question. I don't think I worded it the best because it's, okay. it's you know, new waters. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, we're really getting into how. Um, ACASA plays into the system. Can you maybe go a little deeper mm -hmm. into that? So when the courts, <clears throat> excuse me, make an, making decisions on what's in the best interest of the child, um, CASAs write a report on how things are going. You know, um, when it comes down to permanency, whether the children are eventually going to be reunified with their families, we're, you know, CASAs are making recommendations on that. Um, the court looks to their court report as information that they use on how the child is doing, you know, how the foster family is doing, how the bio parents are doing with visitation, all of those things come into play. So the court really looks to the CASA report um, for those inf that information that they need. So when it comes to a situation where the kids are close to returning home, or maybe unfortunately that can't happen. So there's guardianship or adoption, you know, um, or they're following those cases through and making recommendations about that. Maybe they see the need for a child to have counseling, um, you know, education help, all of those things come into play. So the court really does um, weigh heavily on those CASA reports as well as agency reports. You know, for the child, there's fear of a lot of things, you know, there's fear of being hurt, you know, there's fear of safety, there's the trauma they went through. And um, Akasa can come in and just state how the ch children are feeling or how the child's feeling about a certain situation. So um, that's that's really how Casa comes into play in the juvenile court system. Now, as you're speaking about this, um, I, it's I think it's clicking with me. Not every child in the foster system will have a Casa. Correct. Okay. So, like, 
something is going on with the child and that they're in the court system, whether it's delinquency, abuse, or neglect. And that's where ACASA needs to come in. And I think, like, as you were speaking along, especially when they're saying that there's fear and trauma and everything for within the child regarding their own safety, that's where the CASA is really important. Um, can you help us explore a little bit of what that that looks like for a CASA and a child within the foster system, maybe as they're prepping to go back home to a biological parent or maybe needing to stay or having another foster parent appointed or something like that, like that transition. Can you take us through that transition? Sure. Yeah. So I think the CASA's there to support, the advocate's there to support that child listening to their wants and needs. You know, sometimes the child's wants and needs aren't always what's in the best interest, right? So um, sometimes those are hard things to um, portray in court, you know, or say. Um, but at the end of the day, the longer that CASA follows the child, the more they're going to know about how they're doing. Um, are they ready? Are they expressing that they're ready? You know, um, those are the things that we try to transition. You know, the, the agencies and the casework team do an excellent job of that as well. But that CASA is there to support you know, that one child and make sure the transition is smooth and that, you know, and, and sometimes that CASA, even when cases are closed, that that volunteer is still in communication with the family. It's a great thing to see, you know, because they've had this connection with this child and this family for so long. And, um, you know, I think that's great to see some of those connections last even after the case is closed. As you're talking about this too, what about siblings? Is, like, is each child appointed their own CASA or is it something where a CASA could take on siblings as a unit? Yeah, so it's generally um, CASAs take on a sibling unit. Um, so most of the time the siblings are placed together, they um, try their best, the system tries their best to keep the siblings together. So a CASA generally is assigned to just that one specific case. We do have cases where um, there are a large amount of siblings on a case. So we do um, discuss putting a team on them. So we have a few cases where there's a team and they do really well working together. Um, if it's a husband-wife team or someone who might have been in your training that you um, can can do that as a team. So we always ask. But there are some that might be placed in different, you know, um, geo location so we might have a rockford case with some of the kids are placed in rockford some are placed in chicago so we might need two advocates to work together on those situations because sometimes they're not always placed in the rockford area so the out-of-town cases are a little harder to get an advocate on so we always need advocates who would be willing to travel um because those sometimes wait a little longer um, for a CASA, but we do our best to try to accommodate that advocate to, um, you know, offer some things so that they can travel and, and, and make those make those trips. Would a CASA be appointed if the child is, like, legally in one county but got placed in another county? Would that CASA be from, like, the original county, per se? Or would you be looking, if a child did get placed in Cook County, would you be looking for a CASA in Cook County? I think that's um, something um, that they would just try to see how that could, 
you know, benefit, would there be available CASA and Cook? If there's a relationship already with that child, um, we might see if that's something they could continue. You know, if they've been with their certain CASA for a long time, that would be hard for a transition. So, um, but normally if it's in our county, um, you know, it's our advocates and it's usually a Winnebago County case. I think this is bringing up a great point too. Um, Can you speak on a little bit about how you guys work with different CASA groups or agencies? So we, um, we nationwide, we're always in um, conversations and trainings and things with the, you know, nationwide um, CASA. Um, and then we do communicate with, um, you know, other areas, other counties, like how, you know, how our training is going. So we do network with other counties on those um, types of things and how um, we can always make things better, if that answers your question. Yeah. 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 I think like it sounds like it needs to be a case by case. And to give an answer to this question, it's a little complicated. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Um, I think just speaking about like reaching out to other agencies, I think this really brings into like the next question is how does CASA interact with other community agencies? So we interact, um, with any agency that it's attached to the case. So whether it be um, services for the bio family, you know, the bio parents, you know, um, whether it be children, you know, obviously child focus. So any therapists that they um, might be seeing, um, we're going to IEP meetings, 504 meetings, you know, for the educational, um, you know, we're attending those educational meetings. So we're working with the schools. Um, if it's something where we need to be in touch medical wise with a doctor, um, and then all the agencies, whether it's, you know, Children's Home and Aid, um, LSSI, you know, DCFS, whoever holds that case, we are in touch with that agency to make sure we're all on the same page, that we're definitely working um, as a group and supporting the family and the children. So we work with any agency that's attached to the case, communication, you know, communicating with them how the services are going for the children and then how everybody else is navigating their services as well. I think that's a great um, just kind of explanation of how you work within the community agencies. Um, Can I ask about like the juvenile court systems itself? Like does the CASA advocate work with a probation officer? Do they talk with, um, you know, the legal representation? You know, do they have contact even with the judge? Yes. So we are working with probation officers. Sometimes we have kiddos that um, are in the juvenile probation department. So um, we're, you know, the advocates are attending those court dates for them to show support, um, seeing what they're struggling with. And then the CASAs work hand in hand with the guardian ad litems, which is the attorney for the kids. So they are definitely... um, we have great GALs. They're wonderful um, in our court system and communicate really well with our advocates. So that is huge. Um, and then in the court system, the judge, you know, definitely, um, you know, asks the volunteers questions if she, they, you know, he or she needs to during um, the hearings and things of that nature. So everybody is just really team-centered approach, you know, um, all working together, sharing information um, so that we know exactly what's going on with the case and what's what's in the best interest of these kids. How do you help your, um, the CASA stay neutral? Because like I said earlier, it seems like they see this objective view. So like, it may be hard to like suss out some of the emotional ties that they see for the child 
um, you know, like the potential, right? Mm -hmm. Like they get really excited for the potential, but like that's just not how it works out immediately. How do you help the CASA stay neutral? Mm -hmm. Because I almost feel like each CASA, it becomes a little bit like their own family member. And when we advocate for our family members, sometimes it can be a bit emotional at times. Sure. So how do you help the CASA stay neutral and professional and not, you know, be emotional? Because I, you know, personally, I just think like I could be like gasping, you know, sure. at times or, a, you know, just being outspoken. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. <clears throat> and, you know, some days are hard. Definitely. Um, just for us as supervisors, you know, some days are hard on a case by case basis. And we do, I guess, a really good job of talking through we're in constant contact with our volunteers. I mean, um, sometimes weekly contact, you know, through text messaging or phone calls or emails so that we're if we know something is difficult, we continue to process that with them throughout the duration of the case. So when there's issues that come up, we're processing that, we're talking it out. Um, they, you know, we we have our advocates do a really good job of doing their best to stay neutral. At the end of the day, the focus is the kids, what's in the best interest of the kids, right? Because there's all the other players and all the other things going on and their focus is the child or the children. So we just have to talk through it. We have to counsel them through it. We have to really support them and talk about scenarios and things of that nature um, and just really be that support for them to help them understand this is what could happen, but we write our report. We're zoning in on the kids and what's recommended, you know, recommended for them. And then we go from there and the court system, then, you know, the judge makes their decision. You're really touching on um, some really good points of like helping them stay in communication and talk things out. Um, what are some like self-care techniques you help with the CASAs or like you encourage for yeah, the CASAs? Right. Yeah. So we have, we do have trainings that focus on self-care um, throughout the year. They do 12 hours of training and can do more if they need to. Um, so we, we do our best of, you know, having, even just sessions, we have a, it's called Casa Connect. So we, every um, month, we have a Casa Connect for Casas to get together and talk. Just talk. How are things going with your case? You know, what are your struggles? And that pre, that really is like a sense of their community too, because they're going through some of the same things. Like, yeah, I, you know, I have this kid that's, you know, really difficult to find out, you know, what, their needs are or someone hasn't opened up to me yet so this is a really the Casa Connect I feel like we do a good job of really trying to have them support each other too you know and share techniques and share things and how did you deal with a situation and how you know you're doing great you know sometimes they just need to hear that because it's 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 a hard thing some days you know you feel defeated and sometimes they just need to hear it from our office from other volunteers like you're doing great at the end of the day like that kid depends on you. And if you're just showing up every 30 days and they see that and you're playing games with them and you're hanging out and you're asking how they're doing, that's what matters at the end of the day. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think it's great, too, that it's at least like once a month where they're getting together, connecting, because I'm sure like you you hope that it's a, a short duration that 
you know, a CASA is needed, but that's not the reality of it. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's just kind of nice that they can share techniques. And with children and young people that's really into like pop culture and everything like that, I'm pretty sure it's great just to meet with people just to understand yeah. You know, what, what the kid's talking about yeah. sometimes. <laughs> yes, how to connect. Yeah. You know, I can't connect with this teen. What, you know, what do you suggest? You know, that can be something that really helps them out. So, um, yeah, we just try to keep that sense of community for them. Um, after trainings, um, after um, they kind of get in the groove, we have like little reunions. So for those people that were in that same training, we have a reunion at like a restaurant or somewhere else. We have a meal so that they can talk about, Maybe they, hopefully they've all had cases. And so then they can kind of talk, you know, they've had that sense of community of being in that training class together, how things have evolved for them, how things are going. So we try to have those events to really support our advocates. Yeah. So important. You're really touching on like the rewards of being a CASA. Can you, um, can we look into that a little bit more? Yeah. So I think seeing a family reunited is a huge reward. Um, Seeing those kids go home, you know, we've, I've sat in on a lot of those and everybody's in tears, right? You know, it's just an amazing thing that the parents um, did what they needed to do to rectify whatever was happening in their family unit, right? So those are really amazing things to see, you know, and I think that's very rewarding for our volunteers to see that and see how everything's, see how the case started off and then how it's evolved and they're proud of these bio parents and they're proud of the children for what they've, you know, been through and um, the struggles that they've, you know, really um, tackled during this time and the trauma they've dealt with. So um, I think that's a really rewarding piece. Yeah. Um, in my head, like <laughs> I was thinking like a kid get, does really well in a test, but you're like, no, when they see the whole thing through, that's the big reward. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there is the small ones, you know, there is a the small victories of, you know, um, like you said, you know, counseling, they finished counseling successfully or, you know, the bio parents, they're now um, free of substances. You know, those are all things that's it's full circle. It's, you know, um, the relationship sometimes that CASAs can have with the family unit is just great. It's a huge support system, you know, so the child sees everybody supporting you know, the whole family unit. And so those little small victories, like, yes, you finished counseling. Great job, you know. Um, So the smaller victories. And then I think just at the end when a case can close um, and you really can see that family really has done well and, um, you know, it's over and the system is just a huge thing, you know, for a CASA. Like, um, they're just really connected. At the end of the day, they've been with that child or that family for a long time normally. So it's, it's, it's a happy moment. When Akasa sees like the little victories for both sides and, or I shouldn't say both sides, but for the parent and for the child, um, they're really cheering on because that really, you know, helps them connect. And that when they connect, um, that's like the ultimate reward or like, you know, the most fulfilling reward. Mm -hmm. Um, I could see like some of the hard parts of it could be just like that emptiness of that relationship being completed. Um, Maybe losing touch with the family because everyone needs to move forward with what works best for them. But what are some other hard parts about being a CASA? I think the other hard parts are um, 
just knowing maybe what the children have been through, have gone through, um, you know, or are going through. I think that's probably the hardest part, you know, to understand what kind of abuse or neglect happened, you know, um, reading those reports and those those things are hard to digest. And that's where we come in as an office and as supervisors and really, um, you know, I try to do a really good job of when they're meeting for their case and their case assignment, you know, discussing the details of the case. And, um, you know, that we always say to them before they come in for their case assignment, this is a little bit of overview. If that's something that's too much, you just let me know, you know, because sometimes other people can have things that trigger or um, and we don't ever want them to be on a case that they don't feel comfortable with so um, you know this is kind of what the case is is that going to be okay for you yes and then they'll come in and we just talk it through you know and so I think hearing the initial details of the case can be sometimes really rough you know but um, we get through it and we counsel them through it and we talk through it and then we um, you know really try to get the help that the kids need um, due to those issues. So you give them a little bit of an overview first. Yes. And then they come into the facility, the CASA facility, to get the information. So it's not being emailed to them. They're not reading it alone somewhere. No. It's not, you know, they're not reading it inside of a coffee shop where someone could look over their shoulder. They're coming in. Yes. um, And then you're, you're with them or someone from your facility is with them as they're learning more correct yeah okay. we have we have a case assignment um meeting where um, we prepare the case we have the details of the case everybody's who's involved and then we sit down and really just discuss the case it's usually myself and then their supervisor so um you know we we meet any questions that we know sometimes we won't always have the most up-to-date information but everything we know you know, we present to them and just make sure they're comfortable. Like, I know you said you're okay with this on the phone. Now that we've met, how are you feeling? What are your concerns? You know, and then we just really um, do our best to give them how to start the case. You know, this is who I reach out to first and then go from there, go see the family. And then um, from here on out, they're, they're supported every step of the way. It sounds like with each CASA, and please correct me, but you start off with like the overall training. And then as they go through, you're, you're, someone is always available to provide support. And then when a case comes up, they're giving, they're given like a little, just little details just to see if this is going to be okay. And then they're, you know, they still have the support. And then as they go in and everything kind of unfolds a little bit more, they have support. So it's like every step along the way, um, CASA, the overall organization, is just checking in, like, how are you doing? How are you doing? You know? Yes. How can we support you? Things like that. So I think that's really great that it helps encourage people to get involved and stay involved with mm-hmm. or being a CASA. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And they are supported. And we we really, I know I've said it, but we just really do a good job of um, even when we do the case assignments for volunteers to go to a specific supervisor, we know this person would be great with that supervisor because 
of whatever um, situation. So we really try to cater to also everyone's caseloads. You know, that volunteer would mesh really well with the supervisor for support. They're going to need more support maybe than somebody else wouldn't. And so um, every step of the way during training, you know, um, during their case, I think our office does an excellent job of. And even if your supervisor is not available Anybody in our office, we tell everybody, anybody from the program director to the executive director, um, you know, are there for support no matter what. We want them to feel supported because it's a hard volunteer position some days. Yeah. And it sounds like with each check-in too and every step along the way, you get to know each advocate a little bit better. And that's how you know how to place them with the correct supervisor and the supervisor knows how to correct uh, place them with the correct child or situation not child siblings yeah yes absolutely yeah and I attend those trainings those pre-service trainings um so that I can get to know who they are their personalities what they do you know and that better helps me assign cases when it comes to that and then we we're always staffing things like (laughs) we're always in the office staffing cases or hey what do you think about this case for your advocate you know we're always um trying to you know troubleshoot and find out who's going to be the best advocate, who's going to be the best fit. So the more we get to know our advocates, the more we know, gosh, they'd be really great for this case, or we need them to take a second case on because this is just speaks to them, you know? So, um, and, and, and sometimes advocates are in a position where they will take a second case and be able to, you know, handle that okay. So, um, yeah, we, we do a great job to do that in our office. Is there any type of, like, continuing education that the CASA needs to do maybe yearly or every two years to stay involved and stay current? Sure, yeah. So they're required to do 12 hours every year, and those are trainings um, approved by us. So they get certain hours for reading a book, any, um, you know, podcasts, certain things we're really open to um, as long as it's centered around the child welfare system, trauma-based, you know, um, Illinois CASA, as well as national, they're always doing trainings, um, you know, online. So we share that information with them. So we try to make it as easy for them because everybody's working and everybody's busy and everybody has families. So we do our best to make it, um, you know, easy for them to get those training hours in. So 12 hours through the course of the year um the ones who do training obviously already have those so they're they're lucky and then um when the uh year starts over then they'll do the 12 hours again so um just keeping current um especially on the mandated reporter trainings that we do also so they have to do those um and then we have to keep current on their background checks so those are all kind of check and balances that um to keep them current in the system that's great. Yeah. yeah. That way they stay supported and you know that they have the tools available to continue the work as well. Yes. Um, just for fun, can you say who's like, not who, but how long have you, what's the longest time frame someone's been at CASA? Oh, we just, well, we just celebrated somebody at our appreciation dinner that has been at CASA for 20 years. Wow. Well, congratulations to them. Amazing. I think that speaks to the program. Huge. Yeah. Yeah, Just the support and how needed it is. And Mm -hmm. I bet you they are just a wealth of just information, techniques, Mm -hmm. all of the things. Yeah. It's great. Yes. That's wonderful. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I think I need to touch on like public's perception 
of what child abuse and neglect can look like. Mm-hmm. Um, because these cases are closed off to the public, we only can gather maybe what we've personally experienced, which hopefully none of us have, but the reality is not that. Um, maybe anecdotes we hear from other people or like what TV shows and movies portray. Mm-hmm. Um, what can you share that you wish the public knew about child abuse and neglect? I think the biggest thing is that, you know, reunification is always the goal for the system, you know, and to get, you know, the family safe and healthy again, you know, and what we know about trauma is trauma follows us throughout the course of our life. And sometimes things happen and um, it doesn't make you a bad person. It's just there might be things that you need to go through to, um, you know, correct those conditions. So when someone has experienced trauma, maybe even just in their childhood, that follows out through the course of their life and then maybe into their parenting. And so what, you know, we want everybody to understand is with services, there is rehabilitation and parents can and should have their children back in their care if it's deemed safe, right? So um, there are happy endings. There are things that um, are difficult, but, um, you know, they are really supported by the court and the agencies and to get them all the services that they need um, to um, correct those conditions. And I just want to clarify, they, you mean the parents. Because the parents, sorry, yes. No problem. Yeah. Because we know a child in the foster care system may be experiencing abuse and neglect from a biological parent. So they've been separated for the time being for safety purposes. But the parent or parents may have experienced some form of abuse and neglect maybe in their younger years. And maybe that arrested some form of development in their own lives that, you know, decades later as they've you know, grown up and become parents of their own, there's a little bit of um, a disconnect in how to be a parent then to that child. Or maybe it's just a behavior that is learned as appropriate, but really is not safe. So there's a separation and the parents then go through programs themselves to maybe reconnect what was lost in the developmental stages, you know, mm-hmm. maybe even before they were 10 years old. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I think that that it's good to clarify that because some, you know, parents aren't intentionally harmful to no. their children. They love their children. At the end of the day, no matter what's happened, they do love their children. And we have to remember that. And sometimes things get hard and, um, choices, you know, but at the end of the day, they, they love their children and they do want their children back. You know, it's, it's a difficult thing to, for that to happen to any family. Right. So, um, yeah. And you bring up the, a good word choices. I don't know if some parents realize all their choices when they make, you know, parenting decisions, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. especially if they've had that, I don't want to say developmental delay, but more of like a rest or, you know, that gap. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I think that's great that you've yeah. clar- clarified that up as well, because Good. I think sometimes when we see abuse and neglect portrayed in media, like it's been dramatized and it seems like it's intentional. 
So I'm really glad that you clarified that. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of situations that happen. And, um, but I think um, we just have to kind of go back to kind of what maybe has been going on in their lives or their, you know, the trauma that has happened maybe with them and then kind of take it from there and see what we can do to support this family and the, the you know, the agencies can do to um, provide those services that are specified to whatever they've gone through and the children have gone through. And that's complicated things. And I think yes. that's why it's great that there's a CASA involved just to give that objective um, overview for sure. Yes. Um, can you, from your perspective, can you just state what you wish people knew about the juvenile court system? Yes. Um, so I think it can be a complicated system, but there are so many people, um, you know, cheering everybody on and they really are a supportive, um, group that are offering all these services for um, the children to return home if if it is safe. If it's not safe, then, you know, they're always planning on what the next permanency goal should be. So um, I think the judges are, are wonderful with everybody who come into, comes into their courtroom because it can be really tough days, right? So, um, but it, it's really just a team approach that everybody's trying to work together for the best interests of these children and the families. So I think that's the biggest takeaway is, um, you know, it's it's a team approach and, and reunification. And if that can't happen, then what is the next best, um, you know, permanency goal for the kids? I think that's great. It's nice and simple. Like, yeah, everyone's yeah. trying to make sure families are reunited. Yes, yes. In, in the safest way possible. Absolutely. Yeah, and if it's not possible, then there's the next plan. Yeah, and there's this constant reevaluation and reassessment. Yep, absolutely. I think it's great. It's yeah. nice and simple. <laughs> Thanks. And then um, I think we've had a really good conversation here about what a CASA is, what they do, um, not only within the community, within the court system, and even within your own agency. What do you hope people take away from this episode? I hope people really now understand what a CASA is, what it um, entails on volunteering. Um, you know, I encourage everybody to just take a look and see if it's something that's right for you. It might seem scary. We see that people have to check it out a couple times. Um, and when they come to us, they're like, yeah, I checked it out a couple years ago. And then I just kept seeing it, um, you know, and thought I should really just check it out and see if this is something that I can dedicate my time to. So um, I really hope that people just take away that CASA is a great organization. It's wonderful for the children and their families. And we see better outcomes for kids who have a CASA. And our goal eventually is to have a CASA for every child or every case. So that's our goal. It's someday we hope to get there. <laughs> um, and you know, I think that that would be um, a great thing because um, the the looks on their, you know, faces when their CASA shows up to things and, you know, um, they look forward to that visit and they have those connections even after a case is closed. Um, so I think that's huge. Um, and just that support for those kids because they're going through so much. They might be moving foster homes and losing caseworkers and, you 
you know, they're a constant in that child's life and they continue to show up. And that's huge for that kid. They look forward to that. You know, whether they're a teenager or a small child, um, they look forward to their casa and those visits and, you know, playing with them outside or doing puzzles or, you know, some of our casas take kind of an activity box to every visit and do things or read to them. And so it's just a time for that child to kind of disconnect and kind of really know that there's that one person um, that's going to be a constant support for them, um, you know, until maybe their case is closed. Yeah, I think that's great. And it sounds like even if their case is closed, um, there's that relationship there and it continues a little bit to, you know, the best of everyone's boundaries. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's start off just kind of broadly. Where could people find out more information about a CASA program? Say, you know, if anyone's listening far away from Winnebago County, where could they find out more information? Yeah. So, um, if you go to, um, if you look up CASA, um, there's national CASA, um, and then WinnebagoCountyCASA.org. You can look, um, that on just if you want to do a quick search of what CASA is and what the programs are specific, we have WinnebagoCountyCASA.org. And um, it does, you know, um, do a good job of answering questions, you know, what to expect, how do I do training, how do I even get involved. Um, there's online applications, I know, for our program, so you can just um Fill out your little online application, send it through. We get it. We make contact. Um, you know, um, we're really good about making contact within about 24 hours. And then we um, schedule a sit down with somebody and kind of do like a little interview and um, get to know about them. And then if they're still interested and, in it, you know, um, we get them signed up for the next training. Okay, great. I think that's wonderful. Is there anything else you would like to share that came up in this conversation or uh, maybe coming in that I didn't ask? No, I think we overviewed CASA pretty well. I really do. And I think that um, all in all, we we at Winnebago County have a really supportive staff right now and um, a great team. And so if you're looking to volunteer, just give us a call, even if you want to just call our office and talk about that, what that looks like. Um, go on the Internet, search us, look us up, um, and we're more than willing to talk with you and what that looks like. And we hope, you know, to gain more volunteers for all these kids that need it. Sounds great. Thank you so much for taking the time and speaking with me about CASA. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. This project was supported in whole by the Illinois Criminal Justice Information Authority.